Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Kuyo Chris and Friends. Today I have Kevin Bradley Pauly. He is the recruitment director of PASS, Philippine Academic Student Services here at UC Berkeley. And we chop it up about his life, his goals, his perspectives on the PIL community, which means Filipino, Philippine X, Filipina, uh, here at UC Berkeley and just chop it up about life. Take a listen, please subscribe and rate five stars or four and a half, 4.85 on iTunes. Please share, like, subscribe, buy a t-shirt from me or simply be you. Ha, peace. And boom, welcome to Queer <laughs> Chris and Friends, my friend. Um, so this is just a community talk in that sense. Um, and you are Kevin Bradley Polly. Yes. Usually, I like having people do like a creative presentation, but <laughs> with you, you are creative as your person. As a, That's what I like to think. But we'll see. <laughs> no, here. So, in terms of that, why don't you talk to me a little bit about your creative side last year? Because you were the uh, producer. You were one of the co-producers for PCN. We are here at lovely UC Berkeley. This yes. is my office here. It's a nice I, office. <laughs> <laughs> my bed is right there. <laughs> and... Um, I was in the PCN last year, and you were the producer. Can you tell me how it was to be a co-producer and what the experience of PCN here at UC Berkeley was? Yeah, so I think PCN has always had a special place with me and in my heart. And um, with getting involved in the community, it's been one of my favorite parts. And I never really imagined myself to be a producer. Um, I thought my contributions as a creative would be more so in the writing and more of the creative direction of the flow of the narratives being told with PCN. Um, but as opportunities came about and um, encouragements from other community members um, also came about, I decided to onboard as a producer. And it's been, it was a really eye-opening experience. I kind of saw a lot of the backbone of how a production is built, a lot of the creative side and a lot of the logistical side. And I have to say, like, it was so, like, so, I I was giving so much the production, but I don't regret it at all because I was also able to gain a lot from the experience. Um, I was working with fellow creatives, whether that be through dance components, uh, music components, and writing components, acting components, and seeing all of that come together from a pre producer point of view um, was so impactful for me and it's something that I would do over and over again if I had the chance. So for context for people who don't know, PCN mm -hmm. is Filipino Cultural Night. And then it's like a full-on stage production yes. that's put on here at Zeller Bach yes. Hall that's <laughs> kind of expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and we get to show certain parts of our culture mm -hmm. like that. Were you ever in stage productions before? Yes. So um, in high school, it's actually the only thing that I did for all four years of my oh. kind of high school life was musical theater, um, starting from my uh, freshman first semester all the way up until um, my senior year of high school. I did a lot of theater and theater production. See, theater kid. I. Oh. 
yeah, I guess you can say that. It was a lot of fun, and I think it's You're just a what is that? Oh, I don't know about a thespian. Oh, is that like a theater? Yeah, I am a person. Yeah, no, we didn't have an official name for our theater group in high school. It was just always like the theater class, and then we put on every year of my high school. Um, we did uh, two productions a year. Um, in the fall, we would do a Christmas show, and then in the spring, we would do. Wait, a- it was a class. Um, yeah, it was like a seventh period. Um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I think ours was just a club. Yeah, yeah, you can join it as a student, but also just a general member. Like for example, me, I wasn't a, I wasn't a officially enrolled. So where did you go to high school? I went to Merino Valley, that is in the Inland Empire, down in Southern California. So cow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you miss the beaches? Uh, I actually didn't live near the beaches. Oh, you did? Yeah, no, oh, okay. the Inland Empire, um, it's probably one of the hottest spots in California, and it's um, a desert. Oh, yeah. so I didn't get to go that much. <laughs> no, I probably went like once a year, maybe twice if I'm lucky. Um, but yeah, I rarely went to the beaches. I feel like I have seen more bodies of water living here in the Bay. Really? Yeah, because I feel like just driving here all past by the bridge or some type of body of water that I'm not really used to down in SoCal. Okay, for a little background mm-hmm. context, I like giving, doing a little speed round of like Ooh, okay. just kind of almost history just so we understand you as a person mm-hmm. like demographically or like logistically of where how you came here to Cal and everything, right? Mm-hmm. So where, where were you born? I was born in Riverside. That's a neighboring city of Marina Valley. Right? But okay, and then I know you actually moved to the Philippines. When did you move to? The oh Philippines? no, I did not move to the Philippines. My parents moved. Your to the parents moved to the yes. Philippines when you were. I was seventeen. Oh, okay, and so you, but you understand Tagalog and you speak Tagalog. Yes, we spoke Tagalog at home, um, and I grew up watching TFC. Um, a lot of Filipino movies, and yeah, I still, to this day, only speak to my parents in Tagalog and my family in Tagalog. So you were born in Riverside? Yes. And then you grew up? In Moreno Valley, which is literally like a five, ten minute drive away from Riverside. Uh, Oh, okay. Oh, for some reason, I thought you spent some time in the Philippines because you speak Tagalog well. No, I mean, a lot of people always think that, like, oh, Kevin, did you grow up in the Philippines? You speak Tagalog um, very fluently. And I'm like, no, I just, um, we were, my parents were pretty prominent in um, encouraging my sisters and I to speak Tagalog in the household um, because they knew that it's not something that's taught in public schools here. That's super rare Mm -hmm. for a Filipino-American family Mm -hmm. to make sure that their kids speak Tagalog because a lot um, want to avoid teaching the language in fear of them having an accent Mm -hmm. or being bullied or having confusion. Yeah, I know. Now that I'm a little bit older and I'm um, I have cousins in the Philippines now who have their own families um, it's kind of I kind of get a little sad when I hear that they only speak to their kids in English. And it's kind of that colonial mentality, right? Like that, oh, let's teach our kids English now so that they don't have a Filipino accent, so that they're able to just transition into that American lifestyle. Um, And it's just kind of disheartening. And I really now um, appreciate that my parents really took the time um, 
while I was growing up and before I was probably even born to really evaluate the importance of language and um, teaching my sisters and I Tagalog and enforcing that in our house. I think you see the problem of it, of quote-unquote colonial mentality, mm -hmm. especially being here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and being otherized, mm -hmm. and then seeing the difference of how you are accepted or not, and then realizing how that's kind of placed onto the Philippines, mm -hmm. and you have the glorification of English. Yeah. Right? And I totally resonate with you how I have family members who don't teach the kids that much Tagalog. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, damn fam, please don't do that. Yeah. Because there's a whole whole generation of Phil Amps here who wish they knew more Tagalog. Right? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I didn't even see that growing up. You know, I I tell a lot of people here and they're kind of shocked when I tell them that I didn't le learn English until I came into kindergarten. Really? Uh, yes, my parents didn't teach me any English, and um, they did that intentionally, you know. They knew English is something that's taught in public schools, K-12 here, and um, so I came into kindergarten not knowing much English, only like some English that I've caught on through watching cartoons. So I had to do like English learning programs for my first couple of years of elementary school, and at the time, you know, I was pretty... Being a kid, I was kind of upset, like, ah, oh, this is kind of my parents' fault. They didn't teach me any English. But now, in retrospect, I'm much older, and um, I really appreciate that they did it that way. Um, I eventually learned English, and um, but I think um, I wouldn't have learned Tagalog um, in the way that I know it now unless my parents um, really did it the way that they did. And so you're super grateful. Yeah, you. I'm super grateful. And I really encourage parents and even the youth now, like when we're parents and have our families of our own, hopefully we're able to pass on this language to our um, family um, and really keep us rooted in um, the language that Filipinos um, have. I always also tell folks it's never too late yes. to learn, mm -hmm. right? So I'm happy when people are taking the Filipino classes yeah. here and they're trying to learn mm. and then um, they are using it more, things like that. And then you hear the constant story is the mm. narrative that's super common that, oh yeah, we weren't taught because yeah. of the fear. Of yeah, and I, that's another like cultural like kind of shock I got when I got here when I met some of my um, kind of Filipino friends in some of these classes, um, language classes. Um, who don't know any Tagalog at all because their parents just never spoke it um, or even taught it to them. So that was something I had to get used to, like, oh, not everyone is raised the same way. Um, and just parents have different um, techniques of raising their children. Did you have a lot of Filipino folks around you in Marino Valley? Uh, just my family. So my mother and all of her siblings um, live in the same city in Marina Valley. Oh. So I was very close to my cousins growing up and um, a lot of my cousins are like my best friends at home and um, we all knew Tagalog and um, that's what the language we used at home. So uh, it was a big family. Yes, it's a big family, especially my mom's side, which is all in the, literally the same neighborhood. So yeah. But outside of the family, there's not that much Filipinos. Not that much, yeah. Uh, Marina Valley, or the Inland Empire in general, is Hispanic and um, Black um, communities, uh -huh. um, predominantly. So how was it? What was your experience like getting into Cal and then transitioning into here? What getting into Cal? Um, 
So growing up, I was, you know, there wasn't many people who looked like me. Um, I think a really tough thing growing up, especially like elementary and middle school when a lot of people are kind of mean still, um, a lot of people kind of just automatically assumed I was Chinese or um, just some type of variation of Asian that um, I kind of learned to just cope with on my own. Like, oh, like, I don't even think they're trying to bully me. It's just like their, their assumption. Mm-hmm. And um, that was, I can't really say that I really blame them for making these assumptions because I think it's just the way that they best know how to communicate, oh, he looks Asian, so he's probably Chinese. Because there's not many Filipinos around the area, so how can they know what a Filipino looks like? And that's another thing, like how does a Filipino look like, right? So um, growing up in a, an area that didn't have any Filipinos and no one that really looked at me looked like me to um, transitioning to Cal, where there's actually a community here that um, community of folks that share um, same heritage as me, same um, similar uprisings, and um, just similar Filipino roots is really empowering for me. Um, sure, we don't. There's not a lot of Filipinos on the Berkeley campus as compared to just other. Um, ethnic groups, mm-hmm. um, but I think um, it is enough to be able to cultivate a community, to be able to cultivate a home away from home. And a big part of that is just walking around, seeing other brown people, um, and being able to resonate with that. Like, oh, like, we're here, and like, um, we're, we're really doing it. I feel you in the sense that, like, we do get kind of stuck on the idea that we are 3%, mm-hmm. right? And that's small. Mm-hmm. That definitely is small mm-hmm. um, in comparison to other campuses in the area, mm-hmm. right? And I do wish it was more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is beautiful is like once you do get active in mm-hmm. the pill community, which we call it, um, it is like family that you get to see, hey, hi, yeah. hi, hi. Like that. Yeah. I, one of my favorite things about being here in Cal and being involved in the Filipino community um, is just my day-to-day. Like, I don't think there's been a day where I can walk from um, one side of the campus to the other side of the campus without seeing a familiar face Mm -hmm. and without, you know, like, there's that eye contact we make that, oh, like, we know each other and, like, we're here and, like, we're together. Um, And that just those simple connections, um, those simple interactions of just seeing someone that you know on such, in such a large institution such as Berkeley is really, it really means something, at least to me. And um, it's been my favorite takeaway so far. Mm. Yeah. So how do you get involved? Let's, let's dive into this Cal Pill community. Yeah. So for just context mm. also, um, we call it the pill community because mm. that's a Philippine X community, mm. right? I was super like, I was like, what, what's the pill community? Yeah. What is this? Because we don't, I haven't really heard that used mm. in outside of Cal, outside mm. of Berkeley, right? A lot of folks also just say Filipino, Phil Am, mm. things like that. But it's very consistent for us to just call these spaces pill. Yeah. Right. So how did you get active in the pill community once you got in here? How did I get active? I was actually invited to a program called Senior Weekend. Okay. Um, Shout out pass. Yes. Okay. So, um, full circle. Full, 
<laughs> Senior Weekend is hosted by PASS, which is the Filipino Academic Student Services. It's one of the Filipino organizations here on campus. And essentially, I was a senior in high school. I was getting all of um, like my college acceptance um, emails and letters. And um, I get an email from um, UC Berkeley. It kind of sounded like a, a student organizer just inviting me to a weekend here in Berkeley, all expenses paid. And um, at the time I was a little hesitant because I was already pretty set on going to UCLA. Um, it, was my, it was my dream school and I got accepted. I was um, pretty set. Um, but you know, after talking to some friends, some advisors in my high school, they really encouraged me to go because one, it was free. It was a free flight to the Bay Area. And two, like I had nothing to lose, you know, like it was just an experience waiting to happen. Um, so I did give it a chance. I um, went here for four days, uh, visited the campus, got to know a lot of members of the Filipino community, uh, mentors and um just a lot of friendly faces. And I would say that was my, my introduction into the community. I kind of saw um, the way that the community functions um, and just uplifts one another. Um, sure, this was only for a weekend and it was just a glimpse, a little peek into how it would have been like to come here. But that was enough for me to see myself on this campus, to see myself being able to um, cultivate community with the folks that I met. What about it do you think really shifted that decision mm -hmm. in terms of the community, in terms of like their support or is there any specific things that really like resonated with you in a sense? I would say just the realness and the rawness that this program, this community kind of um, is able to provide. That's something that I really appreciated with Senior Weekend is that they weren't sugarcoating anything for me. This was a very like raw experience that I really appreciated because it was from a student perspective. This wasn't like university officials trying to convince me to go mm. to a school. Like what was the real things that you felt was being said? Right. Real things, um, I really appreciated that they weren't trying to convince me to come here. Oh. Yes. Really? They were, my mentors were pretty prominent about will that they'll support me regardless of which college I choose. And they were very respective of that. And I wasn't the only one that was choosing between colleges. Mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of people in the same boat. Um, and that really, you know, showed me that this is a student-run thing. This, they're not... Um, necessarily advocating for us to come to Cal. They're advocating for us to enter higher education. Um, and that type of realness was like, like I was like in awe of that. And I couldn't wait to share that with my family, to share the experience with other students. Um, and yeah. So now I said full circle mm -hmm. because you are now the recruitment director <laughs> yeah. for PASS, mm. right? And you will be helping coordinate and run the senior weekend this year mm -hmm. which is in the spring semester mm -hmm. transfer weekend recruitment mm -hmm. like programs and things mm -hmm. like that how do you feel about that and what's your kind of goal out of mm -hmm. this program or this position in that sense i um i'm a big 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 sucker for full circles and this one is something that i definitely was not expecting um but it's something that i am very excited about to, and I'm very looking forward to just a senior weekend um, for this upcoming year. Um, I 
am really looking forward to being able to cultivate the leaders of our community once I graduate. Mm. This is my final kind of hurrah. Yes. Your last, yes. My last hurrah to the community. Yeah. And um, even though this may just be a program and um, just another event for our community, I, I see it as much bigger than that. I see it as this is just a stepping stone for the movement of just increasing representation on campus. And I'm very happy um, that I um, am able to collaborate and be able to contribute to Senior Weekend for this upcoming year. And I honestly can't see my um, four years here at Cal wrapping up in any other way. Mm. And you know what I like about PASS is when we did the onboarding kind of training presentation um the mission statement specifically of PASS was for the recruitment and retention of Philippine X students into higher ed and it's not specifically for Berkeley oh yeah not specifically mm -hmm. for Cal mm -hmm. right just to get us into higher ed and things mm -hmm. like that when you were coming up when you were growing up was college always like on the radar for you yeah so yeah. no uh well Yes, it was on the radar, but it was never on the radar for me to move away uh, from home. It was mm. never in the radar for me to go to such a prominent school such as Berkeley, um, just financially and um, the family members I have. We just never really move away from home for college. Um, it wasn't really until like uh, my generation um, that we were able to really branch out from um, Marina Valley and be able to see other parts of the world. Um, but I must say, I think, no, I, I'm gonna say I know that I am the only person in my family who has moved this much for really? college. Yes. Um, all of my other cousins and family members who are in college right now um, are pretty much driving distance away, maybe an hour or two. Um, which um, was my original plan, you know, UCLA is not super far from Marina Valley. It's about a two-hour drive. Um, so it was a really big deal for uh, my family and I, um, for me to come to UC Berkeley, which is about eight hours away from Marina Valley. Um, yeah, distance is definitely a big thing. What advice you have for folks who have moved far from their families, especially for college. And how has the experience been like for you? Advice? I think find ways for you to consistently be connected to your family, regardless of the distance. Um, that's some, a challenge that I'm still facing, you know? Like, it's really hard to connect with your family when you don't see them every day or every week or even every month. Um, there's been semesters where I don't go home at all mm. and it's really rough and sometimes you do get lost in the sauce, you know, like, oh, like, what is even home, you know? Is it here now since I'm here a majority of the year or is it there where my family is? Mm. Um, 
And yes, it has been rough, and there's been times, like I said, like where I question where home is. Is it is it where my my parents live in the Philippines? Is it where my family lives in Southern California, or is it here where my community is, where I've learned to root myself, where I've thrived the past couple of years? So that's a question that I'm still figuring out the answer to. Like, what is home? And、um, I don't think that that. Only has one answer. I think home is a fairly fluid thing, and、um, it's different for everyone. And I know that your parents actually moved back to the Philippines. You said, and they've been there for a few years already.、Right? Yes, five years now. Five years. Yes. How has it been with you here,、mm-hmm. and then your parents in the Philippines? Like I. I, my dad is in the Philippines, so I'm kind of used to that.、Mm-hmm. But I've grown up with my mom here,、mm-hmm. and my mom has been kind of my therapy sometimes when、mm-hmm. I go home、mm-hmm. and I get to see her. I like unload a lot, da 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 da, like tell her a lot. How has it been with having both parents in the Philippines? How have you managed? Ooh,、um, I guess I'll start from when they first left. I was a junior in high school, and my parents、um, came to. My room in our house at the time, and they,、um, you know, informed me of the situation at hand, you know, and they were telling me that they're moving to the Philippines, and I had the option of、uh, either staying here with、um, one of my aunts or、uh, one of my aunts in Marina Valley, or going with them to the Philippines and finishing high school there. And、um, college wasn't even on the table yet, you know. This was all about finishing high school. And、um, I made the choice to stay with my aunt, and、um, it was really rough at first, only because I was so used to having my parents around, kind of just having them them there every day after school,、um, and having them to, you know, just be my main source of support. When they left, I learned to trust. Other members of my family for that type of support. I never really felt the type of bonds with my aunts and my cousins、um, back home until my parents left. Because I,、mm. not only because I had to, but only because they were really there for me for the type of support that I needed.、Um, and as time went on, sure, it did get a little bit easier. I got a little bit more used to my parents not being around all the time. And our relationship is, you know, is all just virtually Facebook Messenger. And at the time, it wasn't even Facebook Messenger. It was,、um, uh, it wasn't called Venmo. It was called Viber. Viber. Yes. So we would. My parents. We still. People still use that.、That's、yeah. The top、um, one. Yeah. My、uh, parents would always call me through Viber and just little check-ins every now and then. And、um, but I must say. Um, having my parents move away、um, really trained me for the type of、um, environment now in college. When I moved here as a first year, I was pretty confident with、um, living away because、mm. I felt like I had a couple years of training of living away because my parents were living in another country. So I felt like I had an advantage in that part of of transitioning to college. Like, oh, I already know what it's like to not be with my parents.、Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit more confidence with that.、Um, but now, now that I'm a little bit older, and now that I'm finishing off college here,、um, it's really starting to hit me that after college, 
and after I start transitioning into the workforce, um, my parents will still be in the Philippines. You know, it wasn't. It's not a temporary thing because I think when I first saw it at um, first going into college, I saw it as more of a oh, I'm gonna be moving away to college, and when I come back, you know, it's my parents will be there and everything will be back to normal. Um, but you know, now that I'm starting to think about what life is gonna be like after I graduate, it is gonna be like moving away from home because my parents won't necessarily be here for me. Um, they'll still be in the Philippines. Yeah. I think that that's such a Filipino experience, like the diaspora of mm -hmm. Filipinos, like even adding Joshua, mm -hmm. right? His mom is in the Philippines. Right. Mm -hmm. Like having these families split across countries. Mm -hmm. Right. Because maybe there are opportunities here, mm -hmm. but it's cheaper to live in the Philippines. Yes. Or we have even people in our community whose parent is undocumented mm -hmm. and then they or their other parent is back in the Philippines like this whole split mm -hmm. between families because of immigration mm -hmm. and all that. Like it is something super important for us to talk about like because on the screen who are demonized right right now mm -hmm. is um by the administration is illegal immigration mm -hmm. quote unquote illegal from um majority mexico mm -hmm. right but i think it's important to realize like yo as filipinos we have people affected yeah. by that as well and on our campus right our classmates mm -hmm. and everything so it's a trip to hear about people's stories, mm -hmm. but also beautiful to see that there are support and we're yeah. talking about I think it. that was something I was kind of insecure about coming here. Um, when people kind of asked me like, oh, like, where are you from or where's home for you? Um, it was kind of difficult for me to answer it at first or to explain to them my situation that, oh, I live with my aunt in SoCal, but my parents actually live in the Philippines. Um, and they're like, oh, like, um, why is that? And um, it wasn't until I was able to connect with um, people who kind of shared similar narratives to me that I began more confident to mm -hmm. kind of explain my situation. Like, oh yeah, um, I grew up in SoCal, my parents live in the Philippines, and blah, 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 blah. So it's all about just like finding those folks that you're able to connect with on these type of levels, um, and then being able to like cultivate that, right? You know, be able to encourage others to um, speak up and share their narratives because they're probably not alone and there's probably other folks who can connect with them. Mm. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> so Pill Community, mm. let's dive into this. Mm -hmm. Since you've actually been in a bunch of different spaces, tell me what have you been active with in terms of the Pill space mm. um, at Cal? So far we've had PASS, yes. right? So far you've told me about PAA, mm -hmm. uh, Philippine American, Filipino American Alliance. Alliance yes. They're the ones that hold friendship games, the Kuya Ate Adding mentorship program, mm -hmm. and PCN. Yes. Right. Have you been among other things? Among other yes. things. Yeah. Have you done other? Been in other spaces? What's it? What's it been like for you? Um, I think um, another kind of Filipino community space that I've really benefited from and that I'm still. Um, dedicated to is the um, queer Filipino space, mm. which is a growing space. I think um, being queer and being Filipino is such a unique 
intersectionality, but it's also very common. It's unique, but also very common. So I'm very glad that there is a space for that here, you know? Sure, it's growing and, um, you know, every year it's shifting its needs, right? Um, but it's something that I think is very necessary. Um, it's very necessary for queers, just queer Filipinos, to be able to have a community within the community. Um, because as I got older, as I just explored my different pathways here in Cal, I learned that being queer and Filipino is like being marginalized within a marginalized community. Mm. And I'm very fortunate that I was able to connect um, with mentors early on that shared similar intersectionalities as me. And um, I try my best, and I'm still trying my best to be able to pay that forward, right? Like be able to connect with um, young, um, young queers and be able to like encourage them to explore the identities and be able to explore the different communities that are available to us. So tell me, how has the experience been as a queer Filipino, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you can share, what has the journey been in finding that out as your own identity? What have the struggles been like that? Because hopefully there are folks who like maybe are kind of questioning or mm -hmm. thinking about that or worried about family, things mm -hmm. like that. And like you just saying, feeling marginalized within a marginalized community. Yeah. I grew up. Um, I grew up with a lot of male cousins, you know, uncles. A lot of just testosterone growing up, <laughs> and um, but I always found myself navigating towards just more of the softer and just a little bit more delicate aspects of my family. And I found that mainly through um, the woman in my family. You know, I, I felt like I connected more with my female cousins and my aunts instead of um, all of like my super masculine family members. And um, that being said, I am the only queer, at least the only openly queer person in my family. And that was very hard um, because um, being the only one in your family who identifies as queer um, kind of puts you in a situation of like family members not really knowing how to respond to that, right? Mm. They don't know how it's like to be queer and Filipino, but at the same time, how do we treat a family member that's queer and Filipino? Um, so that was something that I definitely had to deal with growing up, um, and it wasn't always easy. Um, there was a lot of kind of um, bullying in um, middle school and just elementary school um, and even in my family unfortunately like just a lot of um, side comments of like um, Kevin being bakala or like just being too feminine or um, being too girly and not manly enough which really um, was self-deprecating for me just on my insecurities um, and just even exploring my identity was hard for me because it was looked at as like a joke and kind of unsupported with um, people that I um, trusted. Um, but this all kind of shifted as I got into high school and I learned um, to trust a little bit more. And um, the more open I became about my identity and my sexuality, I feel like more good energy started gravitating towards me. You know, like I felt like um, I gained friends that really valued who I was. I, um, like faculty on campus was really supportive of, of 
my unique and just positive energy that I would always bring into these spaces um, and just overall made me more confident to be gay and to be Filipino. Um, actually, no, I take that back. It, it gave me more confidence to be gay, but the confidence to be gay and Filipino didn't come until I came into college. Mm. Yes. Um, it was actually in senior weekend when I met a handful of, of gay Filipinos um, who um, were doing their own thing, you know? Like, and then in my head at the time, in senior weekend, as a high school student, I was like, whoa, like, they're so badass and they're doing their own thing. And I want to be that. I want to be that confident with my identity and I want to use it to my advantage, right? Um, and when I came to college, uh, my first year, I met even more gay Filipinos and be, were able to formulate like these very informal um, spaces where we would just talk about what it's like to be gay and Filipino, you know? Um, and through that, I was, I am able to just gain more and more confidence about who I am and be able to share my narrative with others, gay or not. Um, and it's something that it's, it's ongoing, you know. I can't say that I'm completely confident about my intersection with being Filipino and queer. It's definitely something that it's building and it's still building. Um, and some advice that I would have for someone that it's that's still navigating their identity as a queer and a Filipino, you know, it's it takes time. It's not something that's done overnight. It's not something that's done in a certain amount of time. Um, it's something that is pace just depending on who you are mm. were you backtrack a little bit when you were saying that they would make jokes mm -hmm. about you being bakla things mm -hmm. like that in middle were you out in middle school no i was not out in middle school i was not out in elementary school it was just um just yeah, the way you acted, just the way I acted i guess and um people were just really mean to me in middle school especially especially in like um settings where you had to um kind of separate boys and girls, for example, like in PE settings. Um, it was very rough on me. I hated PE because of that. Whenever we'd play, like, for example, like, um, I don't know, like a basketball, for example, um, when it would be boys in one side and girls on the, in a different court, it was really difficult for me to be able to connect with other gentlemen in the class because they were always <laughs> yeah they were always so masculine and rough um where i was just like oh, i don't even want to be here and because of that you know a lot of them kind of picked on me and like mm. i was always like never chose me to be on their team um and yeah it was super hard for me at first to connect with um, heterosexual men mm. um, it wasn't until high school like I said when I became a little bit more confident about my gayness my queerness that I was able to connect with more friends and straight men included mm. I think my closest high school friends um, are straight um, and that's just because I was able to see kind of solidarity and that support and um, kind of acceptance um, with um, straight men that I didn't necessarily see growing up. So seeing that and seeing um, kind of that side of straight guys that I was so afraid of growing up, um, it kind of made me closer to them. You know? What were you afraid of? Just hyper-masculinity, 
just that overabundance of testosterone being so rough all the time and rug, rug, rugged really kind of scared me away when I was growing up. Like, oh, like I'm not like that, so I'm scared of that. But then as I became more open about my sexuality, more open about who I was, and I saw that people were gravita gravitating towards like my identity and like just friendship starting to build, I became more confident to open up to straight guys, to open up like to kind of hear what they have to say about me and what I have to say about them. And um, even to this day, like I connect best with um, my straight friends. Huh. Yeah, and it's very unique and I think, um, yeah, very unique thing for me to say that because, oh, Kevin, you're not even straight. Like, how can you say you connect well with straight guys? I think the thing that I connect most with is just that level of acceptance and appreciation for my identity. And that in itself has given me so much confidence to own up to who I am and be able to encourage others to um, open up to who When they you are. say then the level of acceptance for your identity mm -hmm. coming from those straight guys, yes. do you not get that from that much or that level from non-straight guys? No, that's not definitely not what I'm saying. I think um, it's just that early I was able able to connect with straight guys um, much earlier on than I was able to connect with gay guys. Oh. Yes. Um, I didn't really meet gay friends until I came to college. Oh. Yeah. Even in my high school, there was not that many gay dudes or queers in general. It was very minimal. But I think that's more so in part of like fear of coming out, which is super normal. But I wish it was something that, you know, it was coming out is so such a big deal for a lot of uh, people um, which is why I think just queer communities in high school is pretty minimal you know when you're sharing about like the ruggedness or the hyper masculinity mm. or even fear how you identified more so with like the softer or mm. feminine um, role models in your family mm. right and how that kind of put on pressure on you yeah like it was very interesting that even me as a straight heterosexual right i actually relate a lot to the females in my family mm -hmm. right and like even if i also can exhibit the whole oh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah right like and be in quote-unquote tough places mm -hmm. right I personally was love being high, yeah. soft, and like, hi, love you, mom, love you, Kuya, mm -hmm. right? And then, but also realizing how much that was kind of controlled or pressed down upon mm -hmm. when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily by my family, mm -hmm. but by the outside culture yeah. of what it is to be a man or mm -hmm. to be a man, you have to always be tough and be ready to yeah. beat someone up, mm -hmm. right? Then I learned when I could beat people up or be in a room of people who can beat people up, like mm -hmm. jujitsu or mm -hmm. Muay Thai, like these people are not hyper-masculine yeah. all the time, right? Mm -hmm. These people are just, dudes yes. and there's a hi and some of the sweetest dudes mm. are fucking big yes. and they're like hey brother love mm. you brother hey you want some barbecue mm -hmm. i'm like what the fuck yeah and it's just this conception of what it means to you have to be a man mm -hmm. that you have to hyper like emphasize specific characteristics mm -hmm. right while ignoring the others mm -hmm. well i personally believe like in terms of masculinity 
there can be healthy aspects of it and there can be healthy aspects of as uh, male identifying to be in touch with feminine mm -hmm. quote-unquote characteristics or being within the spectrum like mm -hmm. that right i think i i didn't even hear of the term hypermasculinity until i came to cal mm. but it wasn't until i learned about it and started dialoguing about it that i was able to confidently point out whenever i see hypermasculinity whenever it makes me uncomfortable um, because before then if someone is um, quote unquote hypermasculine around me i automatically kind of just shut down because i didn't really know how to respond to it but being able to point out and be able to put a word to what that feeling is that feeling of like hesitance and kind of like triggeredness from um just overtly hyper masculine men um again gave me more confidence and gave me more like comfortability to be around that um type of energy and, and know how to, and know how to navigate that type of um energy do you still see a lot of it here on campus uh yes but like what you said um a lot of a lot of men who kind of present themselves as hyper masculine or what i like to call hm um, <laughs> yeah. yeah no um, what i like to call hm they all like have soft sides that i really enjoy a lot of my friends who i um kind of label or kind of um say are hm all have shown me their vulnerable side they're just kind of soft and silly side that i love and i love that they're able to trust me with that type of shout them out shout them out yeah honestly <laughs> <laughs> i love them they know who they are and like um yeah like coming to cal uh engaging with hm boys and then later knowing that they're not um so hm after all because of their <laughs> soft sides gave me so much confidence to open up to them just open up to straight guys in general and that's not something that i can say that i did all of my life this is something very recent and um something that i'm very happy is um open and very available to me so are these some of these hm dudes like accepting of you like that yeah, yeah. like i if you're not accepting of me like we're probably not gonna be the best of friends and i like won't fucks with you uh, but these hm boys that it, if i would have met them in high school and earlier on i wouldn't have engaged with them at all because of fear of their masculinity what would you label as an hm behavior or um, like what are coming these? into the room making your presence known that you're a man and just flexing your muscles in front of everyone and like hey what's up dude and like <laughs> <laughs> there was this thing that i was always feared in high school that like just greeting um straight guys was always through like you know like yeah the, the handshake, handshake. And the... i always feared that i always sweat up and i didn't know where to look where to place my arms um that is what i love um, label as hm that type of engagement that is traditionally only with um um you know men um and now that i have something to call it now that i um kind of experience how to deal with it now i kind of just laugh about it you know like oh that dude is so hm he thinks he's all that um and being able to say that um being able to laugh about it has just given me so much liberation and um i wish i can um rewind um back to my childhood and be able to um 
address it the way that I address it now. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's been like a lot of growth in terms of personal acceptance so oh, yeah. that that's allowed you to be able to communicate with other yes. people, even folks or behaviors that you feared like that. Yes. And, and um, I think now in college settings and just settings and um, moving forward from now, I am very comfortable telling a dude if they're being too hyper-masculine around me. Like, dude, like, you're being too much. Like, you need to tone it down because you're making me uncomfortable. And um, again, that's not something that I can say I would have done back then. Mm. Mm -hmm. How come you've learned that? How did you learn to, like, even speak up more? Yeah, I, learning what hyper-masculinity even is really helped me. Like, learning the vocabulary, I think... Um, help me validate my own feelings of what I've had growing up. Like, oh, Kevin, like, hypermasculinity is what's been kind of preventing you from feeling confident about your queerness and your Filipino um, queer identity. But being able to put my finger on that, being able to point it out whenever it's in front of me, um, you know, is what has liberated me and um, what I hope to be able to liberate others as well. So you said in high school you started getting more in tune or confident about your queer side. Yes. How did it transition in college to being queer and Filipino? Yeah, I think this is what here in college is where I be, um, have been able to network and connect with fellow Filipino queers. Um, and But here it's such a different spectrum, you know, like... It's so empowering to see Filipino queers here on campus taking space and being just leaders, not only in the community, but in the Berkeley community. And um, it's, it's so humbling, but also so empowering to see that because I'm able to see someone who relates to the intersections and unique identities that I have and be able to do big things here um, on the Berkeley campus. Mm -hmm. And beyond, I've seen just um, kind of some older folks who I met when I was a first year in college who have graduated and um, who are p um, queer and pill who are doing big things now, um, whether that be like television or um, just big things in the industries that I'm um, interested in. Mm. Okay, mm. so in terms of the industries you're interested in, mm. you are majoring in... Media studies. Media studies. Yes. So his Instagram is on fire. Um, and <laughs> you know, make sure all the posts are mm. aesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, what has been your experience in media studies and what do you want to do with it? Um, media studies. Uh, Shout out to Jonathan who just declared media yes, studies. Yes, a lot of my friends are media <laughs> studies. And I'll get into that in just a minute. But I think um, before I even jump into what I want to do with media studies, I'll kind of go a little bit about how I even found the yeah, major, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, media studies is, is a really unique thing, but I'll just rewind a little bit. Um, I was in senior weekend. Yeah, everything ties back to senior weekend. Damn, yeah. so everybody come to senior weekend. Yeah, I know, let's because. come to senior weekend. Um, I was in senior weekend and it was very common for someone to ask me um, what, well, obviously what my name was, what my hometown was, and what you're intending to study. And at the time, it was like a panicky thing, you know? I didn't mm. know what I wanted to study. What did you get in for, quote-unquote? 
you know uh, how you apply you apply oh, for a major so, um the uh, transfer route application and the traditional student is a little bit different um where when i apply you everyone is just undeclared really yes you don't apply uh -oh. to you apply more so to a school so i was applying to the college of letters and science uh -oh. yes so um i was in senior weekend and um my mentor my, or my kuya for the weekend um along with other folks would ask me what i was interested in and i would be like oh i think i want to be a writer so i think i'm gonna go ahead and uh, major in literature or english something al ar along those routes and uh, my mentor for the weekend his name is dome we're still connected and we still catch up all the time um as he got to know me through the weekend um getting to know some of my interests, he directed me to connect with someone um, because he thought that we, one, shared similar kind of identities, but two, shared similar interests in careers. So he introduced me to someone named John, um, very informally, I think it was on the Glade somewhere. Um, Kuya Dome was like, oh, Kevin, this is John. Uh, he is a media studies major, and I think you guys would get along. So I sit down with John, and I'm like, why does he think we're going to get along? So John opens his mouth, and he's like, uh, and then we just start to bond and connect. With was he our, pill also? He's pill, and he's also gay. <laughs> and he's also just a great person that I, I look up to, even to this day. Um, and this small interaction in senior weekend, I don't even know if he knows this but this small interaction in senior weekend being able to connect with a fellow pill queer identifying student um, who had similar passions as me similar uh, interests as me really helped me navigate towards the major of media studies mm. I was like whoa this guy is doing literally everything that I'm interested in and more so um, I knew from that point on that I wanted to explore media studies so I um, started just doing my normal Google search on um, MS we call it MS here um, short for media studies and um, I came into the fall uh, took some prerequisites for the major and I automatically fell in love and I oh. knew it was something that I was going to pursue for my four years here. Um, just the type of people who engage in media studies are the type of people that I fucks with, you know, like they are my type of people and um, what I want to do with media studies, um, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a question that I don't have the full answer to just yet, but I do know that um, with what I've gained through my academia here at Cal and just my intersections with my passions and interests, um, I do know that I want to continue um, being a visual storyteller, continuing to find ways to um, better represent Filipinos in media, better represent queers in media um, and overall just be able to hopefully someday um, be able to have a longing impact on mass media production. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it really seems like senior weekend was mm -hmm. like a big important spot for yeah. you <laughs> in terms of like even deciding to come here, mm -hmm. deciding your major, mm -hmm. just being connected to somebody who seems to have similar interests mm -hmm. and identities intersections as you mm -hmm. and like to almost envision yourself here mm -hmm. right like 
There's this book, Lenny Strabell. Mm-hmm. She wrote Coming Full Circle. Mm-hmm. It's like process of decolonization for Filipino Americans. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things she says is like, to be able to envision yourself in these positions, especially privileged positions as students at Cal, right, mm-hmm. is a position of privilege. It's very helpful to see people that look like you yeah. or like are in similar experiences as you mm-hmm. and stuff. Do you, do, you, do you think you're that person for other people? <laughs> You know, coming into my senior year, um, that is that has been my biggest hope. You know, yeah. I hope that um, people, people in the community, and even future uh, members of the community that I'll meet in senior weekend this upcoming semester will be able to look um, up to me, or even not necessarily look up to me, but more more so. Um, see themselves through me, you know, be able to connect with me in the ways that I've connected with other leaders in the community. And um, it's a lot of pressure, but at the same time, you know, I think um, my kind of passions and my dedications to the community, I hope it's able to just pay forward in itself, you know, like, um, and yeah, again, like, something that I want to be able to confidently walk away with when I, um, when I graduate is knowing that there are leaders um, that um, will be kind of helping nourish and cultivate the community that um, I, along with other peers, have cultivated the past couple of years. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is kind of beautiful to see kind of the process of cultivating spaces, mm-hmm. taking into account that a lot of these initiatives are all student run mm-hmm. and student initiated. And like, it really comes from the passion yes. of some of these students, right? Yes, something I say about community is that it's not something that's given to you. It's not something that you ask and then you get in return. Community is cultivated. Community is nourished. It's something that you put in and then you get something out of it. It's not something that, oh yeah, like I'll take community and like I'll walk away all jiggly and happy. Um, the only reason why our community here at Cal is ongoing and for the past 50 plus years is because community members know to give back, to take, to give back. And that ongoing back and forth is what's cultivating the community. Because if we're if all we're doing is taking from the community all the time, then there won't be anything left in the middle for us to be communal about, right? Mm. The only reason this is working is because, you know, there are dedicated individuals who are very passionate about giving back, passionate about, you know, keeping that communal middle um, and core um, strong so what do you envision yourself giving and why do you want to give that like in like i mean you only have one year left Mm -hmm. yeah um I'll, i'll say it again my i i want to be able to contribute and cultivate the future leaders of the community uh, uh. um th- not just through senior weekend uh, but just with other spaces that i've engaged with with the pcn creative team um other um staffs and boards and interns um my hope is that um these individuals that i've worked with are hopefully able to step in as leaders you know um and that is going to be so comforting for me and i'm going to be in kind of just such a great feeling um, when I'm able to walk across that graduation stage, knowing that the community is in great hands. Mm. 
Let's build that pill house, fam. Yeah. We talked about it. Yeah. We have these Greek row houses in mm. the side, mm. but we need a pill house, man. Yeah, I wish we had a pill house. That'd be that'd be so dope. It would. It can be called like Bahai Kubo or something. <laughs> or, I'm with it. We have so our nice. own bylaws yeah. and community guidelines. Yeah. And imagine it would make organizing so beautiful. Yes. Like. Imagine 20, 30 people mm. up in a house yeah. and then you can live with a similar culture and all that yeah. and with similar principles yeah. and ideals like to really forge a community mm -hmm. because I think I've been learning also just being here at a UC institution mm -hmm. is that there is power in institutionalized spaces yes. and carving this out because mm -hmm. like people are here on a revolving door mm -hmm. kind of like in and out and then out because new folks in and you graduate yeah. it's only really four years mm -hmm. for the four-year students yeah. two years for transfers mm -hmm. and the things that do last are the spaces that are built mm -hmm. right and then to be able to intentionally build that mm -hmm. is a task but also very powerful yeah right and that's why I am grateful for the people who come through here and leave an impact mm -hmm. and then can keep the momentum going mm -hmm. like that. Because actually, let's talk a little bit about GSEC. Okay. Okay. We which is Gender and Sexuality Awareness oh, nice. Coordinator. Right. Component. Yeah. Our component. Mm -hmm. Right. And then y'all just that's this is under pass. Yes. And then it's shout out to Justin. Yes. Who is the coordinator this year. Yes. Right. And then y'all just had the retreat and mixer. Mm -hmm. how, how was that? Tell me a little bit about that yeah, and um, what that experience was like. I guess coming in my freshman year, um, getting to know PASS and its different counterparts, one of its, one of its components or one of its aspects was uh, gender and sexuality awareness. And then I, after reading that on the app, I knew that it was something that I wanted to get involved with. I was like, whoa, like they probably talk about queer issues, talk about what it means to be queer and Filipino. And then um, it had a little asterisk on it. And then I scrolled down in the application and then the asterisk, it said that the position is not filled. Mm. So they weren't accepting interns for that position. And I was kind of disheartened. I was like, oh, that was like the main one that I wanted to do. Um, but then, you know, like informal spaces started building, um, kind of the queer Filipino, um, some of the upperclassmen leaders started cultivating spaces for the underclassmen, you know, like, let's just get together and hang out and, um, you know, be gay with one another and celebrate one another. Um, and that encouraged me to explore gen the gender and sexuality awareness of past. So coming my um, second year, um, I was actually on the staff for PASS and thankfully someone took on the position and I was able to kind of see a little bit more about the functionalities of the space, the ins and outs. And then come my third year, which was just last year, there was uh, the, spa the space was vacant once again. And me and one of my close um, gay friends, um, who I actually, I call him a sister. Um, his name is James. Hey, shout out Yes, James. shout out to James. PAA. Yes, PAA. <laughs> um, we were on the PAA board together at the time when we, um, we were just talking about GSAC, talking about being gay. And we're third years, we're upperclassmen now. And the 
um, the queer space is vacant because there's no coordinator. So we're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Because this type of informal setting was what we valued most as first years. So we were like, we don't want the first years or the new generation to miss out on these type of conversations. Mm. So um, we were on board and we had a serious conversation and we... Um, that's when we decided that we wanted to talk to PASS, the staff at the time, to um, talk to them about us stepping in as the facilitators for a GSAC retreat. Um, and um, that's exactly what we did. Um, we weren't on the staff um, or um, directly affiliated with PASS at the time, um, but me and James um, coordinated a retreat around gender and sexuality, invited um, the queer Filipinos of our community, and um, was able to um, encourage um, someone to take on the position for the upcoming year, which was one of our main goals. We were like, let's um, put on a retreat so that um, someone is inspired to take on the position next year and um, cultivate the space even more. And that's where our pseudo-intern Justin comes in. Um, pseudo-intern. Yes. Uh, he kind of worked with us with the behind the scenes of the upbringings of the retreat and now is the coordinator for uh, GSAC, which I... Um, Justin is an amazing, amazing coordinator, and I'm um, very excited for the stuff he has planned for our community. We just had a mixer a couple days ago, which went great. Um, which again, like the needs of this community, this very unique um, section of the community is always shifting, you know. Sometimes, some years, the needs of a GSAC community might be more so, um, you know, just a space where you can talk about sexual health and sexual education. Sometimes it's more so about the political aspect of what it means to be queer, uh, queer and um, pill. Um, where, whereas some cases it's more so just a social gathering, you know. And again, it's always adapting. And I think the um, the responsibility of uh, the leaders of the space is always to adapt to the needs of the people in the space. Mm. Mm -hmm. It is cool to see that no. these spaces. What is that? <laughs> is that oh, wow. Viber. <gasps> Giving some Speaking ads. of Viber. Speaking of Viber. <laughs> Y'all are playing me with those ads, fam. I didn't even know you can use it on your laptop. Oh, yeah, you uh. can. Uh, this is what I actually use to communicate with my dad. Uh. And my brother oh. and even my grandma is on there and stuff. Nice. It's like a mix between this and Messenger. Nice. I don't know why some... I think because also you can do calls on Viber and Messenger hasn't been that popular for that yet. I've I, been using Messenger for video. Oh, you have? Yes. Okay. So I don't know why some people just still mm. use both. Um, but yeah, Viber is still super popular. I remember when Viber first came out, my dad was super excited because um, he didn't have to buy phone cards anymore to call his family in the Philippines. Mm. All of his siblings and nephews and stuff um, are all in the Philippines and he would always have to buy phone cards, but that's a thing of the past now. Yeah. yeah. Man, the phone card business had died. Yeah. 
Like they, I still see them in seafood city. Yeah, my mom actually used to sell some on the side. Really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to like random Filipino families that she knew,、um, and also some of her family members、um, in Marina Valley that needed phone cards. She would sell them. <laughs> really? So would she get them bulk? <laughs> she would get、like? them in bulk in like、um, seafood city or、um, Cebuano Lulier companies. Um, and then she would sell them. Hey, that's a hustle. <laughs> yeah, a hustle.、Um, yeah. She did that for a couple of years until obviously you know tech started picking up fiber,、yeah. and yeah. she was like, okay, this is not gonna boom anymore. Yeah.、Um, but yeah, we actually had this thing called a phone jack. Oh. And then it was like one that you plug into your computer USB,、mm-hmm. and then the other side had a phone cable slot,、oh. and then you connect it to a regular phone. It becomes then, free or what? No. Uh, I think you had to pay something、oh, still,、okay. mm-hmm. but you had to like do this whole program、mm-hmm. on the computer,、mm-hmm. and then it was like, wow,、yeah. this is the first internet vo- VoIP, voice、yeah. over IP kind of program. I think we're so fortunate that we're in this generation because we're able to see like both. We were able to see both sides of like just how communication has evolved.、Mm-hmm. Like I feel like. Seven or eight years ago, it was very you know telephone heavy and emails、um, and texting was still you know very minimal. Whereas now you know we don't one we don't use phone cards anymore. It's very rare that we use telephone lines. We all kind of have our own mobile devices and we all have these fancy apps to enhance communication. Bruh. In two thousand nine, I had like one of the first iPhones,、mm-hmm. and then. I what I had to do was download maps from Google Maps、mm-hmm. and save it onto the phone、yeah. through jailbroken、yeah. way, like、mm-hmm. and like wait until like 200 MB just downloads, so I could use that while driving in the Philippines、yeah. too. And then that's when the roads on the Philippines、mm-hmm. on Google Maps were just lines,、mm-hmm. and you wouldn't know if it was like a legit road or just a calle,、mm-hmm. just like whoa, but.、Mm-hmm. One lane thing, and、mm-hmm. then I would just look over that, and then get lost or use it to find my way、yeah. out. And no GPS,、mm-hmm. right? Now you could use Waze in the Philippines、yeah. like easy,、mm-hmm. and it'll give you hella good directions and everything. Yeah. In growing up,、um, at least in elementary school, from what I most vividly remember,、um, sometimes I'd get home from school and I'd、um, very commonly call like one of my friends on our house phone. And、um, our house phone was connected to the same cable as the com- my sister's computer.、Mm-hmm. So、um, there were times where we would fight over that, like, yeah, "Oh, yeah. like get off of the internet!" Because I was I was not even I didn't even know how to use the internet back then. Really? Like、um, it was mainly my sister using it for like Microsoft. And like her little projects,、um, she's eight years older than me, so she needed a little bit. You know, she needed more computer time than me, and、um, I didn't. I never understood like why she needed to use the internet like all the time. And、um, I was trying to use the phone, and it was always a back and forth. And、um, was it the yeah? It was like a, just a busy tune yeah, yeah. if someone's using it. So、um, my sister won't be able to connect to the internet if I'm using the phone, and if I'm trying to use the phone and my sister's on the internet, it would just be a busy tone.、Yeah. So we'd always just try to be. Yeah, take turns, and it was never fair because she was older and like. <laughs> yeah. Are you the youngest? I was the youngest for fifteen years, and then I am now the middle child. So it's three. Yes, my parents had a surprise baby.、Um, 
a couple months before they decided to move to the Philippines. Oh. It, it was one of their... I think my mom saw it as a sign. Like, she got pregnant and then um, her and my dad decided that it was probably a good sign to retire early and <laughs> transition to the Philippines because I saw it as another opportunity to finally be able to raise one of their kids in the Philippines. In the Philippines. And yeah. they've really wanted to do that? Yes. Um, yes. I think um, they always, growing up, me and my sister, or even just around my cousins, my aunts, my parents always would say um, if like phrases involving like, oh, like if you grew up in the Philippines, it, it would be so different. Oh, if you grew up in the Philippines, you would do this, you would do that. And um, kind of just that back and forth of like how it would have been if I was raised in the Philippines, how it would be if my sisters, my sister was raised, in, my older sister was raised in the Philippines. I think that really encouraged my parents to raise a child in the Philippines. They're like, let's see how it would have been, right? Mm. Um, and my parents look so happy in the Philippines. They're really happy. And um, my sister is now five mm. or four and a half. And um, yeah, my parents, I've never seen them happier. They're so really? like, yeah, it's just really heartwarming to see my parents enjoy the environment they're in, especially my dad. Like my dad now, um, I don't know if I already told you this, but he... He grew up um, as a rice farmer, a uh, magsasaka, and um, he would uh, basically in the mornings to the afternoons, he would work in the rice fields, and then late afternoon to the evenings, he would be a jeepney driver. And, but now, as a, you know, he's obviously worked in the States for a couple of years before he retired to the Philippines. Um, him and my um, my, my my mom and my sister, they live very comfortably in the Philippines. They live in a very nice house. And my dad now actually, um, you know, he works in the rice fields, but now it's more so f as a hobby, you know? Really? Yeah, he sees it as more That's of like a humbling... Beautiful. He says it's for exercise, but I think it's really just because he misses it. He yeah. That's what he knows best. That's what he... He bonded with his brothers and his dad at the time, you know, that's how he was raised. So um, it's really nice seeing him happy doing something that, you know, he did as a child, even if it's, you know, something um, that's, um, you know, a very tough flavor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did he ever sing the Ang Magsasaka Ay Hindi Biro? Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, there's that song and mm. then they sing it while they're planting. Yeah. But... Well, did, did he go to college? Um, he went to, I believe, one year of college. Yes. Are you a first generation? I am a first generation. Mm. Both my parents um, only did one or two years of college. Mm. Um, yeah. How was that experience of being a oh, first generation? Um, did your sister go to college? My sister went to college. Mm. Um, well, my parents, they, had very, they lived in um, very poor conditions in the Philippines. Um, my dad didn't start um, elementary school until he was about 15 or 16. Yeah, his, my, his older brother um, at, was actually his teacher for his first year of elementary school because his brother had become a, 
a public school teacher. Mm. Um, and um, my dad was one of his students, and my dad was just not into school because my dad kind of saw like a responsibility to help out my grandma. My, da- my dad's father passed away at a very early age for him, so he kind of felt like this responsibility to help out in the house and you know, work in the rice fields, find just ways to make money for- so that they can have um, stuff to eat. Um, but eventually, you know, he finished high school. Um, my mom finished high school, um, both public school um, route and public school in the Philippines and public school here is totally very different. different. Yeah. Um, and my um, mom, you know, neither of them, my, neither my mom or my dad finished college. Um, when they moved here to the States, they were um, working very low, um, low income jobs. Uh, I think my mom is, or yeah, like my family, we were just living a very low income type lifestyle, which I, you know, it did have its uh, very tough moments whenever we had to kind of just um, budget ourselves. And uh, there was always like that fear, like there were times when we would like kind of fear um, just not being able to pay enough mortgage and getting our house refinanced and everything. Um, so financially, that was probably the biggest burden um, growing up as a first generation because um, my parents uh, being immigrants, you know, they're trying to figure out what it's like to be American and trying to make a life out of it, but also at the same time raising kids and, you know, deciding if their kids are going to be, you know, Americanized or they're going to try to learn the way of what it means to be Filipino, right? So being a first generation, it's a lot of figuring it out as you go. Mm. It's a lot of, um, you don't really have that type of, you can't always, like for example, I can't always ask my parents of like guidance um, of certain things that have come up in college because I don't want them to feel bad of not being able to relate to me, right? Um, Because, you know, they didn't experience it this way. So um, they, they didn't go through a UC application. They didn't apply for financial aid. This is all very foreign to me and my family. Um, and my sister um, graduated while I was uh, in eighth grade. And um, she graduated from UC Riverside. And it was a really big deal for my family. Very, um, yeah, it was just very celebratory. Uh, but that in itself was such a big move for my family. Like mm-hmm. my sister graduating from a, an American university and like, um, my parents being able to finance it, you know, um, was a really big deal for my parents, very prideful for them. They take a lot of pride in being able to put um, me through college. Mm. Um, sure, yes, I am getting a lot of financial aid, a lot of like scholarships in that end, but um, I always like remind my parents that I wouldn't be getting this type of um, kind of scholarships without like them paving the way for me. Um, they do help me in like other financial aspects um, and I like really um, let them be prideful of that, right? I think they always show um, just, again, pride and happiness with being able to put me through college and um, being able to also put my sister through college and hopefully my younger sister too. How did they immigrate here? Yes, uh, my mom 
came here first. So, um, were they already married in the Philippines? Yes. Yes. They were already married. Um, but my mom's brother, um, joined the Navy and, um, my uncle, her brother petitioned my grandma, which then petitioned her children one at a time. Mm. So your mom, your uncle yes. was in the Navy. Yes. And then he petitioned my grandma, my grandma petitioned my aunts and, um, my mom, my mom is the youngest out of nine. So it's a lot of like paperwork and you yeah, can't yeah. petition all at once. Yeah. It's a lot of money. So your uncle has been here long before. Yes, he's the one who's been here the longest and um, yeah, the, probably the most American. Yeah. Um, and um, my mom uh, came here when my, when my sister was one. So my sister, my older sister was actually born in the Philippines. And um, they came here when she was one. Uh, my mom and my dad were having a long distance relationship for quite a bit. Damn. Yeah, um, a lot of phone cards, cassettes, even. Yeah, sending uh, over yeah, cassettes. cassettes. When I would damn, know, yeah. that's some romantic. Yeah, shit, it was romantic. Fam. When I, I didn't even know about the cassettes until I, until we were moving out. So when my parents decided they were moving to the Philippines, obviously we had to move out of our house, start packing our things. And when I was pack, helping pack my mom and my dad's room, I found like these dusty old like bundles of cassettes, and it would have like to Jasmine and LV. That's my mm. sister's name and my mom's name. Mm. Um, and, it, and I asked my mom, I was like, what is this? And he was like, oh, like my, your dad would send just um, tapes to me and your sister um, before you were even born, um, just to tell us about his month. Um, That's dope. Yeah, and like- um, There's a book by Phil M. writer Janice Sapigal. Mm -hmm. She writes a whole book based off the the audio cassette love mm. letters oh. that her i think her dad sent yeah. to her mom too something yeah. like that like digitize those yeah fam. no i want make to make sure you don't lose yeah. those and even like my dad like even just talking to my dad while i was growing up he would tell me about like the process of it not necessarily the cassettes but more so just communicating to my to me and my mom or my more so my mom and my sister uh, it was not cheap. Like he had to save up for like a couple of weeks to be able to buy a phone card, to be able to send over a cassette. And um, that's something that I feel like we take so for granted mm -hmm, now. Like mm -hmm. I can like so easily call my mom across the world for free and like not having to wait for anything you know and, and now people be mad why didn't you answer my yeah, facetime yes yeah <laughs> no, now it's facetime you get to see but back then you know like it was uh, i felt like it was such a delicate and so like it was such a big deal to be able to afford a phone card and then be able to call your loved one overseas and i really commend my parents to be able to make that sacrifice right like i'm sure like it was my parents' plan to like be able to like um you know save up and like be able to provide for my sisters and I um, but it was a while before my parents were like um, like reunited um, when I again when we were moving out that's when I started looking back at older photos I didn't have a photo with my dad until like I was already like I want to say four or five really yeah so I was already pretty big you know I was definitely not an infant anymore and he was wait so you were born here when your dad wasn't here yet? Yeah, my dad was not here yet. Yeah. Oh, what? Yes. Wait, so your mom, mom went visited. back to the yes. Philippines yes. and then yes. you were made. Yes. And then you came, were... Came here, my mom uh, came here. So you were assembled in the Philippines and yes. uh, well, package delivered here. Yes. Okay. And yeah, just because of paperwork and I'm not 
completely sure of like what year my dad came here, but it was definitely probably two、uh, thousand or early two thousand. So your mom moved here when your sister was one. Yes, and then your dad came here when you were four. Four or five, yes. Four or five. So your sister was literally like twelve. Yes, like that.、Mm-hmm. So they were apart for like more than ten years. Yeah, and so like, yeah, I think that also contributed to my relationship with my dad. Well, yeah, I think with my sister it's a little bit different. He, she's always been like a daddy's girl, like、um, princess and stuff like that. But with for me, I'm not sure if it's because I met my dad at, at a later age or because. Yeah, I'm not really sure what it is, but we've never been super close,、mm. um, and that's very heavy for me to be able to like put into words because it's not something I really say because it's something that I, I'm kind of like, you know, it's it's saddening that mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. haven't really been able to feel super close to my dad,、um, but I do love him and I know he loves me, and that's always there. But in terms of connection, in terms of conversation, even. It's it's been lacking.、Mm. Mm-hmm. I feel you on that,、mm. though. I wouldn't just like I wouldn't say it's stuck there,、mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like I know even for my own dad, like、uh, because the whole interaction, the whole time we were growing up here,、uh, since we were, I was like twelve or so, he's been in the Philippines.、Mm-hmm. So a lot of the interaction was just on phone call,、yeah. or like when I'm there in the Philippines. And then, honestly, even throughout the years, even if I say, "Oh, I love you, love、mm-hmm. you," like、yeah. it's it wasn't deeper conversation like that. It was only until I was like older,、mm-hmm. like when I made like an intentional, like, "Hey, I want to be able to talk to my dad more、mm-hmm. about stuff," and some even heavy stuff about like, "Dude, you know, like、mm-hmm. it's sad that like I had to tell him," and sometimes I had to deliver it in a joke,、yeah. like. Oh, it's sad that you you know didn't work out with my mom.、Mm-hmm. Things like that. That there was infidelity.、Mm-hmm. Things like that. But to actually have those conversations, like it's possible. Yes, I'm just saying.、Right? Yeah, my dad is coming to the states for the first time since he moved to the moved back to the Philippines、um, in May, actually for, for graduation. For graduation. Hey,、yes. yeah. I'm very excited about that. And he didn't come to. <laughs> He didn't come to my high school graduation.、Um, my mom did though, and my mom, you know, they were living in the Philippines at the time.、Um, so I was like, kind of a little upset about that. And then, but I'm really excited that he'll, he'll be coming here for, you know, my my graduation for college. Have you officially like come out to your parents? No. So this is a very unique thing that I, I because I, it's interesting just to say what I've observed from you, like. And when we're doing introductions,、mm-hmm. and like、uh, I think when we're doing staff introductions、mm-hmm. to like interns,、mm-hmm. like、oh, I'm Christian, I'm this my he him. You're like I'm Kevin, I'm gay as fuck, right?、Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like how you how、mm-hmm. you're very、mm-hmm. like open about、uh-huh. that and just very just out there,、yeah. you know. I never officially came out to my family, but I feel like they known before me that I'm gay. Um, and growing up, my parents, or more so my mom, but sometimes my dad that I can remember would say like, "Are you gay?" And then I'd be like,、uh, "No." And then they'd be, "Oh, they'd say this in Tagalog, obviously." And then、um, they'd be like, "Well, if you are, just tell us. It doesn't, it doesn't matter." 
And then, really? <laughs> really? And just your like, dad would say that? Yeah, just things oh. like that. And then since I would say I wasn't gay, my dad would always tease me like, oh, why don't you have a girlfriend yet if you're not gay? <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. Oh. But in terms of, like, officially coming out, I don't even think that's necessary for me, at least for the time being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I see myself officially, like, coming out saying it in words when you know like i'm ready to have someone that i want to commit to and like welcome into our yeah, family yeah 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 um but you know i haven't met anyone like that oh, yet but <laughs> that's so dope to you so you wouldn't say that you feel a negative like um, from, from your parents my inner in what is it called immediate immediate family, immediate family yeah. at least no oh yeah um sure they my dad especially makes jokes especially with, like yeah. having a girlfriend yeah. but I feel like the day that I do officially come out, it won't be negative. Yeah, it will be like a, oh yeah, like we knew. <laughs> That's beautiful to hear because honestly, like I've heard other folks mm -hmm. like have really big conflicts with their parents, yeah. especially Filipino fathers, mm -hmm. right? With like the, you would say hyper masculinity, yeah. right? Of like, oh, your son is mm -hmm. bakla or mm -hmm. gay, yeah. right? But that's dope. That's to what hear. I hope my dad doesn't have to deal with. I don't want him to his friends back home in the Philippines, his brothers even, or his his family there. I don't want them to have to like, you know, have to down talk him for having a gay son. Mm. I That's something that I am fearing, not on behalf of me, I'm fearing that yeah. on behalf of my parents, yeah. you know, like, um, that's not something I want them to have to deal with and that shouldn't have to and um, when that moment does come you know I will be stepping in even if it means stepping in front of my um, family members in the Philippines or family members here mm. yeah it's dope yeah. to hear that you have like you've developed that sense of strength and mm -hmm. capacity to know your limits mm -hmm. know your lines the boundaries that you want drawn and to be able to speak up yeah. for yourself because honestly, even me, I've had issues of not being able to speak up. Yeah. Right? Whether that's, I don't know if it's more of a personality mm -hmm. or if I'm just conditioned to be quiet yeah. like that. But it's beautiful to hear that you have that confidence mm -hmm. to know like what you want to speak up for. I honestly didn't start speaking up, at least even, at least more so to, to my parents. Um, more geared towards my dad, but I didn't start speaking up until recently like mm. um very recent at least the past maybe two years um i began speaking up to my dad whenever he says things that are politically offensive or politically incorrect um to me um a lot of our conversations over the phone are political are like things that i educate him or even back back and forth like why i think he's wrong or why he thinks i'm wrong um, more recently, a lot of it has been uh, the war on drugs, um, Duterte, um, you know, queer, being queer even, um, what is masculine, what is not masculine, who makes these um, kind of guidelines of what it means to be masculine. These are our kind of conversations. And yeah, sometimes it does get heated over the phone and like um, sometimes like it, it has become like something passive, but you know, it always ends with like, I love you and bye. <laughs> so that's it's like, so good that it ends with uh, i love yeah, you yeah you know? so even though we do like get 
you know, fired up by some of our conversations because of political disagreements. You know, we know that it's coming from a place of love and um, I'm glad that I'm able to, I found the confidence to be able to speak up to my dad in, mm. in ways like that. Mm. In terms of political, shout mm -hmm. out to PAA mm -hmm. for, I think they're releasing it today, mm -hmm. uh, their statement of support for the Malaya oh, yeah. movement mm -hmm. um, to call, which has a list of call to ending the killings in the mm -hmm. Philippines, certain aspects of the drug war yes. and other um, political calls to action, especially for like ending the contractualization mm -hmm. and certain legislation that is affecting mm -hmm like marginalized communities like mm -hmm. that. Do you see yourself being an advocate? Like, because I know you're talking about the drug war to your father, yes. right? And then last year's PCN mm -hmm. was about the drug war yes. in the Philippines, mm -hmm. right? And it's interesting how um, there is that connection with taking it full mm -hmm. circle of using media studies, mm -hmm. like to have a sort of, uh, to be able to speak on issues, mm -hmm. right? Do you see yourself being yes, active? Yes, I that? want to be able to use my privilege as a Philam college, soon-to-be graduate, to be able to impact these type of spaces, these communities, because not everyone can, right? Um, I want to be able to use my voice to really make change in the Philippines in whatever capacity, um, to speak hopefully in behalf of those who don't necessarily have the same privileges that I do. Um, and I think that's just something that I hope everyone does in the community, you know, like recognizing that we have so much privilege being here at Berkeley, being Pilam, and just being in college in general. Um, we have so much privilege that should be given back to the community that doesn't necessarily have the same privileges as us. What do you mean privilege? Pri you, we have privilege a voice. As, yes. We're 3% we're on this campus. Yes, what we are 3% on this campus. But um, I think just being in an institution such as Berkeley, we're able to impact change through speaking up in, in spaces that aren't necessarily Filipino dominating, right? Um, for example, um, in um, the student government here, um, even though we're only 3%, we have a pretty um, strong presence with the student government because they know that we're able to organize. They know the strengths of our numbers, even though, yes, we're only 3%, but that 3% is strong as fuck. Like, we roll through, we're able to put on big um, movements, and um, I think that overcompensates for... Um, the 3% that is um, Filipinos mm. here on campus. So you're saying because of that capacity, you want to be able to speak also on issues that are not yes. just local, yes. but also relevant mm -hmm. to families mm -hmm. in the Philippines. And hopefully I'll be able to kind of intersect that with my knowledge on media mm. and um, knowledge on movement, right? But you're not even Filipino, you're Filipino-American. Why <laughs> are you speaking on issues about the Philippines? So that's the thing. I didn't even I really identify as Filipino-American until I came to Cal when it became kind of the... Uh, the lingo to use. Oh, really? Yeah, like I feel like in in high school, K through twelve. Oh, Kevin, what are you? Like Asian? What are you? Chinese? And then I'd be like, No, I'm Filipino. I never said Pilam. I never said Filipino American. Mm. Um, and then grow, get into college, learn learning that some people are you know 
Filipino American, um, you know, coming um, from the Philippines and immigrating here. There's just different levels of like Filipino ness, at least from like the check box that are are, are available to us. Um, yeah. But yeah. Like in the intake sheet I gave yeah, you, the there's sheet. hella different yes. choices, yeah. right? So, um, yeah, it's a very fluid. So you've always resonated with being Filipino and being aware of issues in the Philippines no. also? Um, I, my knowledge on the Philippines of what it means to be Filipino was only what I've seen on the media up until college. So up until college, I mainly watched TFC, um, all the teleseries, even the news, it was mainly TFC that I would watch, the Filipino channel. Um, yeah, that's why like when now, when we talk about like throwback shows, sometimes I can't really relate because really? I, the shows that I grew up watching were like teleseries. And, that's um, dope, yeah, that's dope. actually what I'm doing my research on for the semester, but that's another topic. But mm. um, yeah, like my knowledge on the Philippines is just what I saw on the media. Like, oh, like this is the how their houses look because this is how the setting looks on this TV show or um, this is the food that they eat because that's what they have on the show or blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, speaking of food, we also only ate Filipino food at home uh. unless we ate out as a family. But, um, so your mom would cook? My dad. Dad would, dad would cook? Never my mom. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And um, so is, yeah. He's a good cook? Yeah, he's what, a really good what cook. What kind of... He's kapangpangan, oh, so, so yeah, sisig yeah, sisig, oh, and uh, um, I think kapangpangan cuisine is very known for just its f- tasteful flavors. Um, and yeah, my dad is just such a good cook, and I really miss his cooking. I was actually just thinking about his cooking last night, um, <laughs> but yeah, he is a good cook, and yeah, those were my main roots to what I thought was all to being Filipino, right? What I saw on TFC and the Filipino food we'd eat at home and the Tagalog we'd speak. I didn't know about the issues. Um, I had very, um, very low knowledge or very minimal knowledge on the prominent issues in the Philippines. It wasn't until I came to Cal that I was able to take classes to be more cognizant of uh, Filipino diaspora, be able to be part of like Filipino culture night and learn through that way. Mm. Um, and then also connecting with other community members, learning about their their upbringings if they were immigrating here um, if they're coming from high income communities low income like mm. there's such a spectrum and um, I've seen so much variety in the community in the Filipino slash Filipino American community can you tell me a little bit flashback to mm. Uma Alab mm. wherever my uh, oh right here right here shout out Uma Alab Ooh. oh I got the pass sticker too damn pass Uma Alab this and right shout out here I feel like this encapsulates my college experience really? so far <laughs> my college life has either revolved around Uma Ala PCN or past stuff oh, yeah so th- I really no. enjoy that note this button. is the gift no, <laughs> <thank> <laughs> <you>. <laughs> what about Uma Ala how did the process what was the process like mm-hmm. being um more so as a co-producer mm-hmm. but also the construction of the story to yeah. incorporate a lot of the drug war and criticisms mm-hmm. of the drug war yes. um, also kind of c- 
because I only personally saw more of it through the screening. Yes. Because if you're in the backstage, you're, you're so you don't, busy. Yeah. You're so busy. Mm. You're not. You're doing your mm. own component of dance mm -hmm. or whatever. You don't really see the play. Mm -hmm. And then I saw one of the scenes where it was very adamant about talking about the injustice yes. of the drug war mm. and how it's really targeting mm. the poor. Um, and you kind of get a the the perspectives that are used to justify it mm -hmm. especially when you're in the philippines um and especially on the mass media is very privileged in terms of saying oh they're doing drugs mm -hmm. they're bad it's very this top-down mm -hmm. paternalistic mm -hmm. kind of like dismissive mm -hmm. um especially because majority of them are poor yes so how did the um, point of view of the pcn develop to be yes. able to take the stand like no this mm -hmm. is not good Yes, so um, as a producer, as a co-producer, me and um, um, my co-producer, or yeah, my co, um, we... Shout out. Yeah, Marinella. shout out to Marinella, greatest person I know. And, greatest? Uh, Whoa, that's she is just a great person, very talented in yeah. multiple aspects, and there's no one that shout I... Shout out to all of other uh, Kevin's friends, you're not the greatest, <laughs> you may be great. <laughs> no, she's great, and I can't, I honestly can't imagine myself producing a show without her, because uh. we filled each other's gray areas so well. But um, in terms of the process, the writing process, we chose writers um, for the production and they eventually pitched us their ideas. And um, one of their main ideas was to um, take a stance on the war on drugs. Mm. Uh, but that in itself already raised so many red flags for us. We were like, oh, the war on drugs? Like, what? are you sure? Because, you know, like, this is a PCN and like we don't know like exactly what the war on drugs is and um, we were so worried about um, kind of the feedback we'd get from the community but also the the more conservative people in the audience mm -hmm. so we were like okay like what are we doing and then um, after a lot of reflective evaluation a lot of um, kind of just reflection on the type of direction we wanted to do we went ahead and um, Went, went forward with the idea we were like let's take a stand let's like this is this is our time to to speak up for those who can't really speak up about the war on drugs um but then come the writing process right like uh, the writers were worried because there's not a lot of academic literature on the war on drugs there's not a lot of academic literature on the present themes going on in the philippines right now a lot of it is interviews a lot of it is mm -hmm. uh, you know secondary type of source so that was also worrisome right like how are we gonna prove the credibility of our story if we don't have academia to back us up so the writers were very intentional in um, finding act one accurate information to include in the dialogue and to be able to connect with others to provide that information right um, one of our writers went to the philippines during the writing process to kind of um, gain more um, contextual understanding of the war on drugs and also to, 
vacation, but also just to get that firsthand experience of it. Um, maybe not so by experiencing the injustices of the war on drugs, but more so kind of seeing what it's already has caused in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had a lot of conversations about my dad or to my dad of like how it's like. Right, he's living in the Philippines. He's telling me all the positive. Of positive outcomes of the um, kind of what Duterte is doing in the Philippines, like oh yeah, like there's all the the drug lords, they're all like they're all like getting arrested or being killed, and you know there's less cr- crimes in the streets. And then um, it wasn't, an, I don't think it was until I brought it up to him, like hey, like do you understand how like fucked up that is? Like they're not even giving trial, like they're humans, but they're not being treated as humans. And this back and forth with my dad, like, oh, I don't know, like because of this, like the streets are becoming safer and blah, blah, blah. And um, another worry that the writing process had was what, st- we were, what were we trying to imply? Like was the war on drugs a positive thing or a negative thing? Um, we're not. We our goal wasn't necessarily to have our audience think a certain way. Our audience. Our goal was more so to have our audience think. Mm. We wanted our audience to be able to evaluate the um, current state of the Philippines from a critical lens. Um, our job wasn't to have them convinced that the war on drugs is bad or have them convinced that we should take action now. Um, this was. Uh, more so to create that conversation, spark this dialogue so that it can evolve to action. It can evolve to this greater movement for the Philippines and uh, for um, those living in injustices now. Um, so yeah, like now in retrospect, now speaking to just after the, we had a screening party or a screening of PCN a couple days ago, um, a first year came up to me, a first year student, and um, she was um, congratulating me on the show um, and just asking me how to ways to get involved. But something that really stood out to what she told me is um, that she really appreciated the rawness of the narratives being told and this past year's PCN, um, she said that there were moments while she was watching the PCN where she would be like, oh no, they definitely won't go there, they won't go there. And then we go there, right? Um, And then she was really impressed that we were able to tackle these issues um, unapologetically. Um, and she, she was just kind of telling me that she wishes that um, all PCNs are able to kind of um, convey similar themes where it's very unapologetic, very raw and very real. Um, and that's something that I am forever going to be grateful for for this production. You know, it's it was not, you know, cookie cutter. It's not a cookie cutter story. It's not a happy ending per se. This is a real story and this mm. is real issues that um, needed to be addressed. Don't. Mm-hmm. And I think it is beautiful to put it up on stage mm-hmm. and then have families there, mm-hmm. right? Wasn't this, you said, one of the like second times that, or a few times that we sold enough to. Uh, yes. So, yes. Yes. Like this is only um, the third time, third actually, time. that we sold all of our tickets. Um, essentially, how PCN works is um, we work with um, Cal Performances and to rent out Zellerbach Call, the world-renowned stage, and they give us a certain amount of tickets, and we need to sell those tickets be- to be able to pay them back. 
So, so how much does it cost to use this? Oh, so many thousands of dollars. Um, yeah, and it's very bureaucratic, and a lot of um, yeah, a lot of the the tough upbringings of building a production here, or at least a PCN, is because of the costs of the auditorium of the the mm -hmm. stage, and um, it's really rewarding when we're able to yes pay it and see our production on there every year um but that in itself is a form of privilege mm -hmm. not everyone is able to perform their stories on a world-renowned stage like famous people have performed on that stage like jason mraz one of my favorite artists growing up and just a lot of um f famous symphonies and um ballets and speakers even um take space on that stage and every year our community is able to take space on that stage and it's a really big deal mm. mm -hmm. dope there's one more thing i want to ask mm -hmm. um so you being active in the community uh being able to be part of different spaces and um see the whole kind of experience from senior weekend all the way up to now you're in your senior year um I want to ask, what is your advice or what are some thoughts that you have mm -hmm. in order to kind of build a more collective pill community? Mm -hmm. For context, right, last year at the pill summit, which is held at the end of the year mm -hmm. to get all the different orgs to be talking together, mm -hmm. right? Uh, one of the issues that were was brought was like this idea of quote unquote org centrism, mm -hmm. right? And like how some people might get siloed in one or another, but we're still strong as a collective, mm -hmm. but how can we strengthen that to even like improve that? Yes. What are your thoughts on that? We need to let our ego go. Mm. Um, I think a lot of this org centricity that is always kind of discuss is because of ego. Um, it's because of like pride for your specific organization, which is, you know, you're very proud of your work. So it's, I think it's a common feeling, but in order to sh really strengthen the roots of this community to for us to collectively move forward, I think we really just need to like simmer down our egos and be human and be community together. Mm. Um, and I can't really, per se, say the action steps to achieve that. Um, but I think step one would be communicating um, our communal needs with one another and being able to be honest with one another, regardless of your org, in how we can effectively move forward as a community. And that in itself, I think, is tricky because our community is constantly shifting. You know, for example, I'm a year from now I'll be gone and um, you know a lot of people new faces of the community they'll be having their own narratives their own passions so it's always this never-ending changing form of community and what is what is community right so I think in order to um, move forward just as together regardless of who's the who's in the community or not um, it would be to, you know, let some of our ego down and um, build kind of a communal confidence that at the end of the day, our mission and our movement is headed towards the same direction. Mm. Um, because what at least what I've seen, um, getting involved in different spaces, getting involved in different organizations, um, everyone kind of sees their own movement kind of 
um, their own mission, which is great, and it's you know very normal for an organization. It's understandable. Yeah, it's yeah. understandable. Um, but I think we needed to take time to let our egos down and take a step back and really see that all of our missions is all headed towards the same movement of mm-hmm. of empowering Filipinos, of empowering through representation for Filipinos, whether that be, you know, in the health field, media, you know, so the list goes on. And um, I think seeing that is going to be key. Um, But then seeing it, but then reflecting it with our younger members of the community, right? Mm -hmm. Because they are the future of the community. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I can only do so much now since... Um, I am gra- I am graduating soon, so the most that I can do now is have these conversations with the younger members of the community and um, let them know of how the community can strengthen. Because at the end of the day, like it is going to be them who mm. will be cultivating the community that can be stronger. Mm. So it seems to me like you are on the shift mm-hmm. to be more so creating the spaces for the next leaders Mm -hmm. and really doing your best to kind of support that and like give your perspectives and guidance but there's also a certain amount of like letting go yes right yes because it's in their hands Mm -hmm. now yeah and i that's uh, yeah like you said it just how i feel it um this is a very transitionary phase for me i'm yes sure i'm involved in directly involved in some spaces but um even just the first couple of weeks of school i've already found myself like dipping in and then dipping out because uh my time is starting to fade and it's time to kind of evolve the newcomers and like the future Mm -hmm. Are you going to be sad? I am going to be sad, but I'm hoping that come May or come graduation that I'm leaving with confidence and leaving with um, just with the gratitude of the time I've had here, um, but also in relief that the hands are, the community is in great hands. Mm. So maybe we could check in by, by May. Yes. What is one of your goals that you have for in this last year one of my goals mm, get more tinder matches get more tinder (laughs) joke i hope to uh find more he has has enough i have enough no (laughs) tinder is a whole nother subject (laughs) we can get into but um come may one of my main goals honestly is uh just find more feasible ways of how i see myself um impacting the world um, that I um, have always dreamed of impacting, um, whether that be in the smallest steps possible. I think college has given me a lot of confidence to do just that. Mm. And um, this upcoming year is finding ways, you know, feasible ways of how I will be doing that when I graduate. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I like closing off with a little section of advice, mm-hmm. right? What are three pieces of advice that mm-hmm. you would give to your younger self? Right? Mm. And it could be in a whole range of ages, whether it's that one being bullied, mm-hmm. maybe um, because they're not at conforming a certain way, or like the time when your parents are transitioning to the Philippines, or even when you're entering college, somebody with certain identities similar as yourself. Mm-hmm. What are three pieces of advice that you would give? 
three pieces of advice. Um, Welcome to the Kevin Decal. <laughs> <laughs> three pieces of advice. Wow, that one's kind of hard. But um, one of my main ones, I think, would be um, letting people into your life. That's something I didn't learn until I was much older. Um, that once you let people in, um, really personal and nitty gritty of like your identity and who you are, um, the more genuine relationships you can you gain, and the more um, just true friendships um, are valued. And um, that the only way to do that is if you let people in and like let people see the raw you. Um, and that's something that I'm very fortunate I was able to do um, in college. Um, second advice, I think um, I would tell my younger self to um, never take my family members for granted. Mm. Um, family is, um, you know, there's uh, pluses and deltas for, uh, for family because you are born into your family, right? Um, but thorns, thorns and thorns. <laughs> yeah, you are born into a family, and you don't choose your family. So um, I think I would tell my younger self to so just tell my family um, I love you more, and just mm. gain that type of relationship um, at an earlier age. And it's something that I'm working on now. Um, but I wish I would have has started um, much younger. Um, yeah. And my third piece of advice. Uh, oh, learn to trust the process. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I never really um, did coming into college. I kind of always tried to micromanage everything, to put my hands in everything, to make sure it's gonna go my way. Um, but getting involved in the Filipino community, I learned that um, the the brightest of all products and just the most positive outcomes is when you trust that um, people who are dedicating themselves to a certain process is doing their job. Mm. Um, and yeah, and that comes in many different forms, whether that be through collaboration, applications. Um, I need to learn to really, or tell my future self or my past self to really just take the back seat and enjoy the ride mm. um, as it's happening. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Tinder. <laughs> no. But just a clarification mm. um, or a little more elaboration. Mm. How does one mm -hmm. like let people in? Because that's also kind of like a, a broad statement. Maybe somebody, and it's hard for somebody to know what that looks like mm -hmm. if they haven't gotten to a point yes. of comfortability of yeah. letting people in. So yeah. what has that looked like for for, you? for me, it was a big part of my uh, queer identity. Mm. Um, before coming out to my friends or even to anyone, I was always very secretive about that. I was very personal to me and very closed off. And I felt like no one was ever really in my life. It was very kind of baseline, like, oh yeah, Kevin's cool guy, smart. Um, but it was never like my full self. And it wasn't until I began to accept myself and really be confident in who I am as a queer to be able to like let people in, like, all right, like this is who I am, take it or you can leave. Um, and the more I let people in, honestly, like it was such a good feeling to 
see positive outcomes from that. Like I said earlier, like positive relationships, more genuine um, relationships. And um, through that, through letting people in, I have like, I can say I do have a chosen family. Like earlier I said that you don't get to choose your family, but I think that you are able to craft a chosen family. Mm. And that's something that um, I am very happy to have. Um, here in college, a lot of them are friends that I've made here in Cal that are my chosen family. They're like my family, but I wasn't born into them. I wasn't forced into them. This was something that was um, a product of me letting them in. Delta Hustler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, dope. Do you have any uh, messages? Oh! Mm. So, mm. we have an event coming up. Yes. Filipino Empowerment mm -hmm. Day. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. It's in October. Yes. October 14th um, is Filipino Empowerment Day. It's an intercollegiate conference um, amongst um, universities, colleges, community colleges, and high schools mm. around the Bay Area where we all just come together in a conference here in Berkeley and um, dialogue about our prominent issues going on in the Philippines, um, issues as Filipino Americans, but at the end of the day, it's just a way for us to celebrate each other and mm. our shared identity and heritage. Um, this is now my second year um, coordinating this event. I'm very passionate about this program and um, I only see good things happening um, for it. So um, if you're in the area, please um, come to uh, Filipino Empowerment Day here at UC Berkeley. October 14th. October 14th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. A lot of friendly faces will be there. We can all connect with one another, uh, get to know one another, and my favorite part, celebrate one another. Um, yeah, I love celebration and um, this is just going to be one really big empowering um, but celebratory event. There will be food there? Yes, uh, <laughs> there will be a lot of food there, uh, Filipino food and um, yeah, it's just an exciting time that I hope um, to see just uh, visiting faces, faces here in the community at Cal, but also more so a lot of different communities, Filipino communities um, around the area because at the end of the day, like I said, we are all for um, the same movement. Mm. So if people want to get in contact with you, yes. uh, how can they reach you? Yes, if you're interested in getting yourself or your organization, your community organization involved with Filipino Empowerment Day, you can reach me at recruitment at pass at berkeley.edu. Sorry, recruitment.pass. Sorry, yeah, I don't even know my own email. It's recruitment at pass.berkeley.edu. I'm positive about that one. It's recruitment at pass.berkeley.edu. Oh, okay, okay, yes. I got it. Again, that's pa recruitment at pass.berkeley.edu. What's your personal IG? My personal IG is just my full name at um, Kevin Bradley Pauly, and my Twitter is Kevin B. Pauly. Uh, I think I have pretty interesting content on both feeds, so. His uh, Twitter, his yeah. Twitter be going, his Twitter be going, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Mm -hmm. And for the, um, what's this called, entertainment head to a snap, Mm -hmm. Right, he has an Yes, I also have a Snapchat <laughs> if you want to get a glimpse into my raw lifestyle. It's, it's the same as my Twitter handle. Do you have any last message for anyone? 
Um, last message. Thank you for having me. Thank you for I, coming. Um, I've always wanted to be on a podcast. <laughs> I listen to quite a few podcasts, so, so um, I'm very happy. Maybe to be it's time for you to start your own. You know, I wish I could. It's always been my dream to kind of produce this type of stuff, but. I feel like it's just me getting in my own way. Yeah, um. <laughs> but we need, need more folks. Yes, in we the do. Community doing more podcasts. Yeah. I always encourage folks to do them, mm -hmm. and because you don't really see these conversations mm -hmm. up on the screen yes, or definitely. up even in other podcasts, mm -hmm. right? There's mm -hmm. not. There's like two other Filipino podcasts yeah. that are happening. Yeah. Shout out to this Filipino American life. Mm -hmm. They're a dope podcast mm -hmm. too. But yeah, we don't have that much mm -hmm. and then it is needed. It yeah, is like, even if Crazy Rich Asians was dope, mm -hmm. right? We middle class, we low income out here. There's right? a lot of untold narratives. But it's it's good and I always encourage folks, especially if you're in media studies, mm -hmm. to be doing this and love to help support and everything. Any Thanks. shout out to anyone you're talking to? Or <laughs> I am very uh, low key about my talking to list. I know. This <laughs> I, don't, person, I don't have a list right now, actually. I'm very focused I know, this, on... This one was very, very low-key even last year. I um, Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm focused at my project at hand, which is FED, Filipino Empowerment Day. And last year, I feel like I was so focused on PCN that romance and just dating was kind of on the sidelines. Um, but in years prior, it was a little Ooh. bit more of a priority. Maybe that's why they felt that they were on the sideline. I am very focused whenever I have a goal in mind. Uh, I feel like, yeah, that's one of my, it's one of my pluses and one of my deltas is when I have something in mind, a goal or a project at mm. hand, I have like tunnel vision. Mm. Um, I will do everything to make sure that it's smooth and loved and appreciated. Um, and everything else is kind of just um, background noise. And mm. that includes my dating lifestyle, unfortunately. But so that's your delta. That is my that's delta. That improve. I become so focused, but that's also mm. my plus that I am focused, right? Mm. Um, but yeah. Okay, hit him up on Kevin Bradley Polly or email me. <laughs> <laughs> Swipe, yeah. fam. Swipe me. Super cool. like. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Illy. Illy. <laughs>